0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us today. Um, this past weekend, um, one of my kids was kind enough to share a cold with me. Um, and so if I have a little bit of a cough or a little sniffle, it's, um, I'm sorry about that. But the good news is I've taken enough antihistamines and decongestants that I don't even care that you're here right now. So... So that's good. We're going to be cruising at a altitude of about 32,000 feet, okay? So we're in for a ride. We're glad you're here. It'll be an interesting service. But thank you for being here and for worshiping with us today. We're going to continue along in a series that we've been going through for several weeks. But before we do that, I did want to give you a little bit of an update on my family and just share a few pictures of just some fun news that happened for us this past month. Um, this past month, we added a new member to our family, and I wanted to introduce her to you. Here's a picture of the newest member of our family. This is Taya, our new dog with our daughter, Kai. And uh, Taya came to, came to us this, this last month, and we're really grateful to have her with us. Um, some of you may or may not know this, but Heidi Fisher, who um, serves in our children's ministry, she uh, fosters rescue dogs. And this it was one of her rescues. This was a stray that um, was found with a, a badly broken leg. Um, it was so bad that um, ultimately determined that she needed to have an amputation. And so Heidi and Randy Fisher were there to care for her during that surgery and nurtured her through her recovery, and for several months they've been taking care of her, but um, it got to a point where she was ready to be um, adopted into a new family, into a new home, and it just so happened that we were that family. And so we're really grateful to have her in our home, yeah. And to have her be a part of our family. So we're really great. She's sweet and she fits right in with our family, doesn't she? She's fantastic. So just a perfect match in lots of different ways. And so we're grateful to have her. Now, when Heidi dropped her off at our house um, for the first time, she said to us, hey, you need to keep Taya in your home for at least two weeks before you take her out or you introduce her to other people. And part of the reason for that is because Taya needed time to adjust to her new surroundings. And she needed time to bond with her new family, her new owners. And so that was the instruction she gave because it was part of the you know process of adoption and, and that new bonding uh, phase. Now, Heidi, however, had to bring something to our house a few days later. And so when she came to our house to drop off some things for our dog, um, Heidi said, I'm not coming into your house. I'll meet you in the driveway. And so she met us in the driveway, dropped off the stuff that she had for Taya because Heidi knew something. She said, I don't want to be in that, in get in the way um, for, for Taya to have this kind of tension And battle in her heart. And part of it is because, um, Taya, it's hard enough to be brought into a new environment. But then to be brought into a new environment, then all of a sudden to be brought kind of face-to-face with an old master and a new master, you kind of got this division going on. There's this battle of who am I going to listen to and who am I going to follow and who am I going to show loyalty to? So she said, I'm going to step out of the way. I'm not even going to come into the house because Taya needs to be connected to you and devoted to you. And here's the good news. It's been a month now and Taya is very connected to our family. And it's fun. We're connected to her as well. But this reality of this concept of being divided, uh, the, the need to be devoted to one thing, but the reality is that to being divided isn't just something that a dog like Taya can experience, that inner battle. It's something that we can experience as well. We too can experience an inner battle of devotion. Are we going to be devoted to one thing or to two different things at the same time? And we've experienced that in lots of arenas of our life. And if we're honest with ourselves, we also recognize the devastating impact of choosing to say, I'm going to stay divided as opposed to choosing to be devoted to just one thing. We've seen that devastating impact, the harm that it can create. Perhaps you've seen the guy who says, I am. I value having a family, and I value having a home and my my caring wife. But at the same time, that guy says I also value illicit sex and the the inappropriateness of another relationship. And as we step back, we go, "Whoa, there's tension there, isn't there? There's a division that's going on." And you re- can recognize it's only a matter of time. Before, there's devastation within and without in the relationships and in his life. Do you understand that? So Jesus, in this passage we're going to look at today, talks about the risk of having dual lords. The risk of being divided and going two different places at the same time instead of saying, I'm going to be devoted to just one thing. Jesus addresses that risk And through that, he also recognizes two areas in which we can find our heart divided, two areas in which there's a battlefield going on within us, and that is both our wealth and worry, two places where we can be challenged to be divided rather than be devoted to one thing. And Jesus, in this passage, addresses it, and it's so helpful for us and important for us to pay attention to and listen to. And so today we're going to look at that passage, and here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's the passage we're going to be looking at together. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you receive the handout on your way in here. It has the passage that's printed for you there so you can follow along. And what I'd like to do is for us to read the passage in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. And so here's what I'd like to have you do. I'd like to invite you to please stand, if you will, for the reading of Scripture. Then we'll come back and we'll take a look a little more closely. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19 all the way to verse 34. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, How great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, go ahead and have a seat, if you will. And we'll take a look at it together. Now, the first thing that I want to address is um, where this passage fits into the context of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. See, previously, just before this, Jesus has been telling his disciples, those who were following him, he says, it's important for you to pray And it's important for you to give. And it's important for you to fast. But he also says to them, but don't do those things publicly as a way to impress other people. But instead he says, do it secretly so your Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret will reward you in heaven. There's treasure for you in heaven. So this is the, the emphasis that he's just made. Now, you can listen to that and say, well, that's wonderful that there's treasures for me in heaven and when, when I, when I, that God has for me. But then the question that you may still have is, well, what about the treasure here and now? There's that then, but what about right now? And so that's where Jesus then goes in and he explains and he helps the disciples then. He helps us now. And he really steps in by saying, hey, let me talk about two kinds of treasures, two kinds of eyes, and two kinds of lords. And so first, let's look at the first kind of treasure that he talks about in verse 19. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So this is the first kind of treasure that he's talking about. And he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, you read this, and you, the question that you may have is, wait, Does God, is God against us having possessions? No, the scripture does not teach that he's against us having possessions. Well, is God against us planning ahead? No, scripture does not teach that God is against us planning ahead. Well, is God against us enjoying the possessions that we have? No, God, scripture does not teach that. In fact, scripture says, hey, he's given all things to us freely to enjoy. So the question is, what is it that Jesus is talking about here? Is, is it that Jesus is saying we've got to take all of our possessions, pile them up, and burn them? No. He's not saying that. You're not going to get extra credit with God for burning all of your possessions. Now, that might be a pretty cool bonfire, right? But you're not going to get extra credit with God for that. See, Throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout his teaching here, Jesus has this way of saying, hey, I want to take a look at the surface of things, but I want to go beyond that to the heart of things. This last week in my life group, that was part of the conversation that we had, is how God wants to go from, to really go after the heart, and he wants to change our motives from the inside out. And that's what's going on here as well. Jesus is not saying that you can't have possessions, but the question that he's going after in terms of the heart, heart part is why do you want to have possessions? And why do you need those possessions? And for, for many of us, the reason why we want to have earthly possessions is because we think it will create more esteem for us, we will feel more valuable. And our culture kind of plays that trick on us too, doesn't it? That if you have more, then you must be more. Right? So if, let's just say, Elon Musk was here with us today worshiping, okay? My guess is a few of you would notice if Elon was here. And the reason why you might notice is because he's got a few billion dollars in his bank account, doesn't he? And somehow in our culture we think, oh, because you have more, you must be more. That you're more valuable because of what you have. And Jesus is saying, I want to push past that that you don't have value because of what you have the possessions that you that you own but it's not just that we have don't have more value because of the possessions we have it's also that we don't have more security because of the possessions we have that's why it says here in this verse it says listen to what Jesus teaches he says don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths destroy and where the moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal there's not a lot of security in this stuff that you're holding on to on earth and he's saying, just case in point, look at the moths and vermin. That's nature's way of dealing with our possessions. In your translation, it may say rust. That's time's way of dealing with your possessions. It says thieves. That's man's way of dealing with your possessions. And in every case, your possessions are not very secure, are they? So it's not that we have more value because of our earthly possessions. It's not that we have more security because of our earthly possessions. But for some reason, we hold on to them thinking that this is the answer, that somehow by having these things that we're, we've, we've got to hold on to it because this is the answer. And Jesus, in his kindness, is saying, listen, I don't want you to, at the end of things to be unsatisfied and to be insecure because it won't, you won't find it there. Perhaps you've heard the story, the story of the old miser who um, wanted to keep all of his things, and on his deathbed, the, the old miser brought together um, three people. He brought together a minister and a, a doctor and a, um, and a lawyer. And he said to them, listen, people have said that you can't take your possessions with you, but I'm going to try. And so he says, I've got three envelopes with money in it. I have $100,000 in each of these envelopes, and I'm going to give each one of you an envelope. And when they lower my casket down when I die... I want you to throw that envelope in. Now, the guys, at the moment when he dies, they, they do that. They show up at the funeral, the casket's being lowered, and they throw in the, the envelope. But on the way home, after the memorial service, the minister says, guys, I have a confession that I need to make. You know, I, we needed the, I need some money from the church, and so I took $25,000 but I only threw in $75,000 with the envelope. And the doctor says, well, I've got a confession to make too. You know, I'm building a clinic right now, and so I kept $50,000, but I threw in only the other $50,000 at that time. And the lawyer looks at them and says, gentlemen, I am ashamed of you. I threw in a personal check for the full amount So you see, listen, Jesus is, is saying something to us that we need to hear. He's saying, listen, uh, uh, the stuff that we have, it doesn't give you more value. It's not secure. It's not even secure with your friends. So he's just saying, hey, it, it, it will go away. So, so the question then is, okay, well, what's the, what should we do? And that's the second, second verse here in verse 20. It says this, But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And the point there is making this, this concept of treasure in heaven, he's really saying in investing in God. So he's, he's, he's not using the name God because, you know, just kind of the, the Jewish tradition. We don't use that name, so they just talk about heaven. But he's really saying invest with God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when you invest with God, then, listen, it will last And you have an opportunity to make a difference. And I love this because Jesus understands something about you and I, uh, many of us. We are ambitious, that we do want to move forward, that we want to um, invest our lives in something. So it's not just that he says, hey, sit back and do nothing. He says, I get it. You want it? You're ambitious and you want to invest. Here's what I'm telling you to invest in. Invest in God. Invest in things with God, things that will last. So put your life into that. This is what he's helping us see. And it's important for us to get because he's saying this will matter and it will matter for the long haul. So that's important for us to get. Now, I know for some people you say, well, you don't understand. I'm trying to save up these possessions for my kids. And I get that. And that's good, but we have to be careful because I think it's possible for us to kind of subtly lie to ourselves with what we're trying to hold on to because it's for our kids, but we just have to be careful. And it's also a discipleship piece when we think about it as well because we don't want to disciple our kids into thinking that um, security comes from possessions either. So we need to be very careful. And he's just simply saying, this is where we need to invest, invest our possessions with God. Now, verse 21, he says this, and it's important for us to see, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is, where you're investing, where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. And so with that, yes, spiritually speaking, it's important for us to say, how can I take my treasure and invest it with things that when my, where I want my heart to go. So how can I take my treasure? We talk about this regularly giving to the church. And by doing that, it's like all of a sudden our heart can grow for the ministries of the church and what God wants to do in us. We give to missionaries. And through that, guess what? All of a sudden your heart can begin to expand for that missionary and the work that's taking place there when we give. When it's when we, you know, for many people, you've sponsored a child before. And when you do, guess what? Your heart begins to expand in your love for that child and your desire and your prayers for their future. This is what it goes, how it goes. Now, we have to hear this because the the reality for us is this, that where we place our goals, what we're investing in, does become our gods. That when you invest your time, your treasure, your talents into something, that becomes your God, and it becomes a form of worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? Where is it that you're investing your time? your treasure, your talents? Where is it that you're investing your money? And I know that some of you are like, I'm getting really uncomfortable right now because they're talking about money at church. And we're not supposed to talk about money at church, but guess what? Jesus talks about it all the time. And so it's important. And it's not just that, you know, I know that some of you are like, well, I, I, just, I just need to get out of this conversation right now. I've got to, like, I think right now, yes, I did. I left the stove on. I need to go back and deal with it right now. <laughs> or man, I've got, you know... I've, My hair is getting long. I'm overdue for a haircut. How can I get out of this conversation? How can I leave? You're thinking of all sorts of ways to get out. But listen, you may feel uncomfortable to talk about church and your treasure and where you're investing it. But listen, it's not me trying to make you uncomfortable. It's Jesus. Jesus is saying it because he wants to push on you. And he wants to make you feel uncomfortable. But listen very closely. It is because of his absolute care that he does so. It's because of his absolute care for you that he says, listen, consider where is it you're putting your treasure because your heart will follow. And he doesn't want you to get to the end of your life and say, man, that's what I invested my life in. That's what I gave my heart to. He does not want you to get to that spot and live with regret or wonder and saying, why did I invest so much here in things that won't last? He cares for you enough to say, listen, think about your treasure. Where is it you're investing? Where is it that you're putting what God has given you? Because he cares about your heart and he cares about the impact. This is what he's teaching us. And it's important for us to get... Now, with that, you're saying, well, how do I keep the right focus? And that's the next verse, verse 22. It says this. He talks about the two kinds of eyes. Here's the first one. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So he's saying, listen, your eyes, they, they, they're a picture. They, they're a window to, into your, your life and your soul. And he's saying, so have healthy eyes. And he's not talking about have glasses or deal with your cataracts. When he's talking about healthy eyes— He's really saying that you need to have a generous view on life, that you see things and you say, what can I give, not what can I get? Because generosity leads to fullness. It leads to light. That's what he's talking about. By contrast, though, in verse 23, he says this, "...but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness?" So he's saying, listen, by contrast of having a generous uh, view of life, you can have a, more of an internal what-can-I-get view of life, and with that comes darkness. So he's saying, listen, are you a pipeline for what God has given you to be a resource and to impact the world, or are you a vacuum and sucking things up, and you just get dirty on the inside? Does that make sense? So he's really just pushing us to say there's two views. So that's the focus that helps us say, this is what he's challenging us towards. But then what, pro- what the problem becomes when we do try to get in that spot and it happens, it, it's, Jesus is talking about it because it's a human reality, by the way, that, that none of us are above this, that we can get caught up in our stuff We can get caught up in our positions. We can have the vacuum mentality of I need stuff. I need more things. I need more possessions. And the danger, the risk that Jesus is really trying to help us recognize and avoid is that when those things become our God when those things begin to rule and lead us. And so that's why he talks about two kinds of lords in the next verse. It says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be v- devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is, is making, um, making a, a, a strong statement here. And let me just point out a couple of things. First of all, he says, No one. You know what that means in Greek? No one. No one can serve two masters. You guys are really smart. All right, this is great. No one can serve two masters. And that's important for us to get. Um, and then the other thing that I want you to see is it says um, either you the, love the other. You, um, yeah, you cannot serve both God and money. So he's saying not just it's no one, but cannot. Again, can you tell me what cannot means in Greek? What do you think? Cannot. cannot. It's impossible. Jesus is not saying to us, man, it's going to be really hard for you to like devote yourself fully to your possessions and devote yourself fully to God. He doesn't say, yeah, that's going to be a real struggle. He just says, it's impossible. You cannot. And it is a foolish person who thinks to themselves, I'm going to make possible what Jesus says is impossible, right? I can make it possible. No, no, no. Don't be foolish. If God says it's impossible, we need to hear it. And so he's saying, listen, you will either love one uh, or you will dis- and you will despise the other in the end of things. And so that's an important warning for us to hear. Now, the key word here that I want you to see in this verse is this, the word serve. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve. Now, Jesus does not say that you can't have money. Do you hear that? He's just saying you can't serve both God and money. And the question is then, does my money and possession have me or do I have money and possessions? That's, there's a distinction there. There's a difference there. See, the fly can say, um, this is my um, fly paper. But the fly paper gets to say, this is my fly. Do you hear that? And so the point that he's trying to make is, what has? who has what? And he's saying you cannot serve both God and money. And it's an important thing for us to hear. This danger of dual lords, this division. And what we can find ourselves doing is if we say, Hey, man, I'm really going after the possessions and the money. What can I get? Because I'll have greater esteem or I'll have greater security or whatever it might be. Whatever it is we're trying to fill. He says what happens is you can get into the spot of feeling dissatisfied and worrying about, Do I have enough? can I get enough? What if I lose it? Can I get more? And so he goes into now the worry section because we can worry over all that stuff that we're trying to serve. Verse 25, it says this, "'Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes?' So um, a couple of things that I'll just mention here. When Jesus starts this conversation about worry, I just want you to know in the Sermon on the Mount, there is more space dedicated to worry than any other subject in the Sermon on the Mount. So do you think Jesus recognizes that as people, we struggle with worry? Yeah, he does. He does recognize that. And so all of us neurotic worriers, We need to listen to what Jesus has to say. The the word worry, it's two words, really. The word to divide and mind. If you have a divided mind, that is your mind is going two different directions and you feel that civil war in your heart and in your mind, that's worry. This is what Jesus is going after. And he's saying, listen, why is it that you're worrying about your life, what you'll eat, what you drink, what you're, and your body, what you'll wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And this is a, just a revealing passage because when you think about it, we do worry a lot about what we'll eat, where we'll eat, what we'll wear, don't we? I mean, I would, be, I would honestly be very scared to try to calculate the amount of hours Of my life, I have spent worrying about what I'm gonna eat or worrying about where I'm going to eat and looking up reviews and talking to people. And you know, because I don't wanna eat at the wrong place. If I eat at the wrong place, that would be awful, right? So I'm worried about eating at the wrong place or eating the wrong thing. And I'll ask the server, hey, what should I eat here? I'm worried about what I'm gonna eat and where I'm gonna eat. Is anybody with me? I'm not alone, am I, right? Talking about food, you're already worrying about what's for lunch today and where you're going to go. And I'm with you. Let's go together, okay? Um, this, this, is, this is something that, honestly, if we stopped and just calculated, I think it would be overwhelming. The amount of time we have, been, we have spent in our lifetime worrying about what we'll eat, worrying about where we'll eat. He's saying, listen, isn't life more than that? Just food? But our culture says, oh, food's everything. It's, it's where, you know, that's what you got to worry about. But then he says the same thing. It's not just food. It's what you wear. We spend a lot of time worrying about what we wear. I'm not going to even begin to talk about the calculation of how much time we've spent about what we wear and what people think about what we wear and what, what they'll think they think about what we wear. I won't go there, okay? But this is what Jesus is pointing to. He's saying life is more than that, but we've spent a lot of time doing it. So he's saying, listen, is not life more than all of these things? Then verse 26, he says this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So, so Jesus is saying, listen, can I give you some perspective? I mean, when you woke up this morning, did you see robins plowing the field, you know, trying to, you know, get food? No. Are you, did you see a robin just looking there going, oh, man, I wonder, you know, I've got this nest, but, man, do you think we should have a second nest someplace? Do, you, do you, or did you ever, you, 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 you wake up in the morning and see a bird going, man, you know, I've got this nest, but when I look over at her nest over there, I just, I just can't stand this, this awful, you know, dirty nest that I'm living in now. I want a nest like that. You don't see birds doing that, right? And he's saying, listen, how much more valuable are you than birds? God knows how to take care of your needs. He wants to meet you. He wants to care for you. So he's saying, listen, don't, don't, uh, we can find ourselves in a spot where we're dissatisfied, When we worry about all these things, when we we struggle and we fret over them, we find ourselves dissatisfied. We can find ourselves distracted, and Jesus is challenging that. And and, in some ways, we can get suckered into thinking that's what it's all about. Got to get more. Got to have better. I got to compare with them. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I love you. I value even more the birds. They're not fretting over this stuff. I'll take care of you. But for, somehow, for some reason, we miss God's care for us. We miss his value. There's a poem that I ran across, uh, written by a 14-year-old, that gets it better than, than many of us. And it's a poem that he wrote, and it's called a Present Tense. And I'd like to just read it for you, because I think it's, it's really uh, a challenging uh, poem for, for us today. It says this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days And the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 30 I wanted. (laughs) The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life is over, but I never got what I wanted. Do you understand the impact of that poem? The impact is this, that we can find ourselves thinking, man, I'm not being provided for. I don't get what I want. When in reality, God's saying, Listen, I am providing for you. You're just missing the fact that I've given it to you. Enjoy it. Don't fret over all this stuff. Enjoy God's grace and His kindness and the goodness that He's given to you. Otherwise, we run the risk of missing it. In this passage, Jesus is saying, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And he pounds that home. In fact, in the, he just then goes into a, st- a series. There's five different rhetorical questions that he asks, and he really helps us, the rhetorical questions really just get us to stop and say, whoa, yes, duh, for sure. So let me just look at them with you. The first, first one of the, or not the first one, one of the questions he asks is this Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the question is, no. You can't add a single hour to your life. In fact, you'll lose years of your life by worrying, right? It's the opposite. I heard one person say, describe worry this way. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far, does it? Right? And that's, what, that's the concept here that he's, he's really getting after. Then verse 28, he says this, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or, or spin. Don't worry about clothes. We spend a lot of time worrying about clothes. Verse 29, he says, And I tell you that not even Solomon in his, all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Then next verse, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He's saying, listen, this is a faith issue. He's challenging us. He says, when you're worrying, guess what you're doing? You're not trusting. And that's a hard truth for us to hear. You're like, Jesus, you're being, you're being hard with me. You're saying I'm not trusting or have faith. Yes, he is. But at the same time, I want you to hear the positive side. He's inviting us to grow in our faith, to trust him more. So here's the truth, and here's the grace. Truth, you're not trusting. Grace, come trust me more. That's, that's what he's saying. Listen, it, it, to hear, hear, hear his words. Then verse 31, he says this. So uh, do not worry, saying, what shall I eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Don't worry about these things that you're constantly w- w- fretting over. verse 32. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So when you're worrying, when you're anxious, when you're fretting, you're you're acting like those who are not believers, and yet God still knows where you're at. So again, he's pushing on that faith issue. Trust me. Trust that I know what you need. Verse 33 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, this is important. This is a key verse because it's not just that Jesus is telling us what not to do. It's what we need to pay attention to is what Jesus tells us to do. Does that make sense? He's been telling us, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. So, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? That's this verse. Here's what I want you to do. But seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and guess what? I'll take care of the rest. That's what he's focused on. So you're saying, well, practically, what does it look like to seek God's kingdom, his righteousness? Well, for me, practically speaking, this means me stopping and saying, you know what, God? These are the things that I'm worrying about. And I've spent a lot of time worrying about these things. But what I need to do is stop stop, stop, kind of being in a spot where I'm sitting in my own worry, and I need to step out and seek you with my worries. That's what he's calling us to do. He's saying, don't worry, seek God. He's saying, come to God with your worries. You're saying, you, you, it's coming to a point saying, God, here, here's the stuff. Here's the things that I'm fretting over. Then, and it's re, the reality is I want control. And I'm not trusting your control. I'm just wanting to deal with it myself. But I recognize I can't. I don't have control. And I can't fix it. By worrying, I'm adding nothing. So I've come to this recognition that I can't, but I recognize you can. That you can manage things. That you can change things. That I need to transfer my trust from me to you. I need to seek you. What your will, your kingdom, your ways with these things that I'm worried about. Will you be the king? Will you rule? Not me anymore. That's seeking his kingdom his righteousness. Say, God, I need to surrender this over to you. Here's the deal. My own personal cry for worry reminds me that I need to call out to God in worship. That's what he's getting at here. That your own personal cry to worry, your own own struggle with worry ought to call you to worship To say, God, I can't. You can't. I need to worship you. Come to you. Trust you. Hand over to you these things. Because in Scripture it says this: Cast your cares upon Him, because He cares for you. We come to Him with these things. So it's not just that what we don't do; it's what we end up doing that's important. That we come to Him with our concerns, with our cares, and we say, Jesus, we we need Your help. That we have a propensity to worry. But we can't change who we are, right? If we have that propensity to worry, it's a moment for us to stop and say, yeah, God, when I worry, it's you calling me to worship. It's you calling me to trust you, depend on you, say your kingdom in my life. You rule. My faith is in you. And there's a great freedom in that, isn't there? That it's no longer me trying to manage what I can't manage and saying, God, I trust you to manage what only you can manage. And there's great freedom there. Then the final verse, verse 34, it says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a helpful verse because it's saying to each and every one of us, hey, when you come to Jesus and you seek him, guess what? It doesn't necessarily mean that all of your troubles will go away. There will be more. There will be a future. There will be challenges. There will be moments where you're stuck in worry. But this passage, this verse simply says, but you can trust Jesus today. You can trust him today with what you're worrying about, with what you're fretting over. You can trust him today. Don't borrow tomorrow's worries. That'll come. He'll be with you on those days, in the days to come. But today you say, Jesus, I want to seek you. Instead of carrying it and sitting in my own worry, I want to seek you your kingdom, your will, and last that you would do what only you can do and bring peace. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now. God, we are so grateful for the fact that we can come to you, that you invite us to trust you. You challenge us when we don't trust and you invite us to trust you and to devote ourselves to you. God, we pray, each and every one of us, Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for myself as well, Lord, um, against the risk against against the danger of being divided in our heart for that battlefield with our possessions and with our worry, but instead to recognize the invitation of this passage to trust you, to serve you, and to seek after you. God, we know that as we do, you can do what only you can do, which is give us peace, give us satisfaction, and give us security. Things that we want and look for from all these other things, only you can provide. And so God, we thank you for that. And we trust you in your name, amen.